Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Welcome, Lake Point family. And hey, if you got your Bibles, head over to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14 is going to be today. Hey, uh, heads up, we're going to do a lot of Bible today. How many people are happy we're in a church where we get a lot of Bible? That's right, we like that. So we're going to do that today. And uh, hey, while you're turning there, um, we're starting a new series today that I'm kind of excited about. And uh, let me lead into it like this. I like to start with something a little lighthearted. I heard a uh, story um, in sermon prep this week about a guy that died and went to heaven. And when he got there, he started noticing that clocks were lining all of the walls everywhere in heaven, and they were moving at different speeds. And he asked Peter what was going on, and Peter explained that every person has a clock, and every time that you sin, the clock ticks. And so, you know, he's walking along, he sees a clock that's not moving at all, Billy Graham's clock. Uh, walks a little farther, and he sees one that's just like, just barely inching, Mother Teresa. And uh, he finally just plucks up the courage to ask, well, hey, where's mine? Um, to which Peter responded, we, we put yours in the office and use it as a fan. <laughs> and uh, man, some of us, I, th- I think we identify with that. And what I think is that a lot of people have a lot of questions about death and the afterlife. What happens after we die? Now, when it comes to death and the afterlife, what happens 60 seconds after you die, what happens? Guys, I've got bad news and i got good news. Okay, let me start with the bad news. I bet look right at me. Bad news. You are going to die. Welcome to Lake Point. That's it. <laughs> Welcome to Lake You're going to die. Every single person that's watching this uh, message, whether it's going to happen, God forbid, today on the way home from church or in 80 years from now, You are going to die. You may hear that and say, Pastor, can't you be more positive? Yes, I can. I am positive that you are going to die. In the words of Anne Lamott, 100 years, all new people. Every person everywhere is going to face that moment where they breathe their last and step into eternity. Now, let me talk about good news. Good news. Because of the Bible, we can know what's going to happen after we die, and we can be prepared for it. And so we, we, what we want to do during this series, title of the series is that. It's simply 60 seconds after you die. What happens and how we can be prepared for it. And so here's what we're going to do. Um, I, I consider what I'm going to do during this series my highest responsibility. My highest responsibility as a pastor is not to entertain you. It's not to uh, inspire you. My highest responsibility as a pastor is to prepare you for eternity. That's my highest responsibility. So week two of this series, next week, we're going to look at the horrors of hell, I gotta pronounce that very carefully, the horrors of hell. And you may hear that and go, man, Josh, a hell sermon on baptism weekend, that's a little intense. Well, hang, hang on, it's actually just, just be here and come with an open mind, it's actually perfect, it's gonna be awesome. We got a lot of good news next week, real, real, real good news next week. 
And then week three, we're going to be looking at the glories of heaven. The glories of heaven. Now this week what we're doing is we're looking at what is the first thing that happens as soon as you breathe your last and you step into the afterlife. And it's, by the way, it's not what a lot of people think that it is. If you got your Bibles, pick up with me in Romans chapter 14. And we're going to read this together. Now, little context. What's happening in this passage is there were Christians in a church that were arguing with each other and treating each other poorly. And in order to kind of wake them up and give them a sober-minded moment, here's what Paul says to them to kind of, kind of gut check them. What he says is, he says, you then, why are you so worried about what everybody else is doing? Why are you not more focused on you and you're really worried about what everybody else is doing wrong? He says, why do you judge your brother or sister and why do you treat them with contempt? Now here's, here's what he says. He says, here's why that's so dumb for you to be so focused on making sure that you make sure everybody gets what they deserve for what they did wrong. Here's why that's so dumb. We're all going to stand before God's judgment seat. And you need to know that. That there's coming a moment in your existence where you are going to go one-on-one with a living God Almighty, ancient of days. You're going to stand before God's judgment seat. And here's what it says. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. There's going to come a moment in time where it doesn't matter what you believe or did not believe, what religion you were a part of or or were not a part of, where you're from, who you are, high, low, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And watch this. And whether you believe it or not doesn't make it untrue. There's going to come a moment where every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That moment is coming for everybody. doesn't matter what you believed or didn't believe, what religion you were from. There's going to come a moment where everybody everywhere bows to their knee and they say, oh my goodness, Jesus was God the whole time. It was Jesus. And then he says, so then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Okay? Now, I've titled this message, um, The Two-Question Test. And I got that, uh, that message title from a pastor named Chris Hodges who preached on this subject. A lot of content I'm teaching came from that message. It was so good, I wanted to give a lot of it to you. But that's the title of the, the message, The Two-Question Test. And, and let me start right here, w- w- help you understand why I'm calling it that. Um, not everybody, when it comes to testing, is really awesome at testing, and that doesn't mean that you're smart or not. Some people just, they're really smart, they're just not good at testing, and honestly, I, you know, in some classes, I was one of those guys. I actually consider myself a, a pretty smart guy. I'm good at analytical thinking and data analysis, and that kind of, I'm good at that, and I enjoy it, but there were some classes where I just didn't feel like I was good at that test moment. Um, help me out really quick. Are there any other people in the room like me that's like, man, I'm, I'm doing fine at my life or at, our, at our, all of our campuses. Doing fine in life. I just didn't love testing. Didn't always do great. Come on, loud and proud. Don't leave me alone right here. This is, where are people? That's right. I like you. I like you people. Uh, here's what a lot of us are like. Oh, I know the answer to that question. I <laughs> raise my hand. Okay. Now, where are the people? And just, you know, be pr- proud and just kind of own it. Where are our A, B students? And it's like, man, I actually felt like I did pretty good testing. Where are you at? Raise them high, raise them high, raise them high. We don't like you. We don't like you because you were always messing up the curve for us. Like, man, stay home every now and then. Skip a dang class. You know, what, what do we need? And uh, so here's what happened to me. Uh, my, uh, in, in college, I got into Union University on a pretty significant academic scholarship. 
But the stipulation for me to keep the scholarship was I had to maintain at least a 3.0 GPA. Now, that didn't sound very hard to some of you. Um, at my college, for some godforsaken reason, a 95 was a B at my college. And so you had to maintain a 3.0, but little asterisk, a 95 is a B. And uh, I, I'm going to fully admit this, and this is description, not prescription for all of you current students. When I got into college, my entire goal was to do the least amount of work possible to maintain the GPA I needed to keep my scholarship. Um, you, may, you may hear that and say, lazy. I hear it and I say, efficient. That's what I felt. And, uh, and so for me, kind of my mentality was, man, I can't be uh, distracted. Uh, you know, I can't, I, I can't be going to classes when there's intramural games to be played. Like, that was kind of my, my mentality. Well, that became a problem for me my junior year in college when I got into a class, Hebrew. I was a biblical theology major, and I took Hebrew, which is the language the Old Testament was written in. And here's what I learned in that class, that God chose the hardest, most complex language in human history to write the Old Testament in just to prove he could do it. That's what I think he did. And so I got in, and uh, my grades, I had never had any problem with a class before any time that I applied myself until Hebrew my junior year of college. And, uh, and what happened was I was in danger of falling below that, uh, that scholarship, the 3.0 scholarship maintenance level, and I was going to lose fifteen dollars or $20,000 per year of an academic scholarship, and my parents were responsibility-oriented, and I would have ended up paying that. And so I became very, very motivated to do well in Hebrew at the end of that, uh, that semester. Well, eventually what I found out was somebody told me that my Hebrew professor kept all of his old tests on file at the bookstore, and you could go buy them. They were just like a buck a piece. You could buy the old tests, and you, he, he used some of the same questions on his tests now. So you could study those old tests, and you wouldn't just know the questions that were going to be asked, you would learn the answers to the questions. Like they were on there in the bookstore. So I was college poor, and so I went out as soon as I learned this, and I donated plasma, and I took my $25 from donating plasma and drove straight to the bookstore and just said, give me all you got. Got every test that there was, and I started studying those, and if you were to look at my, uh, my test grades in Hebrew that year, they would have gone like this. They would have gone like uh, C, D, C, C, A, 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 nailed it. Just crushed the back half of that semester. Because watch this, because now I knew what questions were going to be asked on the test, and I knew the answers to the questions. Now watch this. Here's my greatest fear for many of you. My greatest fear is you don't know the questions that are going to be asked when you stand before God. And because you don't know the questions that are going to be asked, you're not going to test very well. And here's the greatest gift I feel like I can give you as a pastor is to not just, I can tell you what questions you're going to be asked. And not just that, I can tell you the answers to those questions. Does that sound okay? Why don't we do that? Okay, so, so let's do this. Now, here's where we got to start, and we're going to start just doing a little theology, just to kind of track with me. When you read your Bible, some of you guys may have noticed that, man, Josh, it really feels like in the Bible that there's two sets of verses that seem to contradict each other. And you may be going, man, there's one set of verses where it seems like everything's about grace and free salvation apart from our works in Jesus. Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith uh, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that nobody could boast. 
There are a lot of verses like that. But then, there's a whole other set of verses that make it sound like what you do really, really matters. Verses about God's judgment according to what each person has done. In fact, Romans 2 specifically says that God will, quote, repay each one according to what they have done. Now, let me explain that really quick. Some people see those two sets of verses and they go, oh, the Bible contradicts itself. No, 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 no. The Bible never contradicts itself. Here's what's happening. There's two sets of verses. Watch this. Because there's not just one judgment coming, there's two. There's not just one judgment, the Bible says. You're going to face two different judgments. Now, watch this. The first judgment is called the great white throne judgment. First thing you're going to face right after you die. Great white throne judgment. And this is the everybody judgment. This is the judgment from Adam and Eve to the very last person that's ever born. Everybody is going to face this judgment. Let let me read about it for you. uh, Right here here in Revelation, here's what it says. It says, then I saw, I'm going to point out some details that you may not have noticed. Then I saw a great white throne. That's where we get the name great white throne judgment. Theologians are very creative. (laughs) And, And him who is seated on it, that's Jesus, Then it says, the earth and the heavens fled. That's a fancy Bible way of saying time ended from his presence and there was no place for them. History's done. That's what it says. Now watch this. And I saw the dead, great and small, that's just a way of saying everybody, standing before the throne and and watch this. And books, plural, books were opened and then another book, singular, was open. So I need you to picture this really quick. You're standing before God's throne in judgment. I want you to picture that right over here, there's a stack of books. And as you, I, I'm gonna explain in a second. That stack's real, real, real high. Whole lot of books. But then right next to them, over here, there's a book, singular. And watch this, which is the book of life. The dead were judged, and it's talking about the spiritually dead. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, plural. Now, let me explain what's going to happen at this judgment that will happen to every single person who has ever lived. See, what what happens is the Bible says that everything that any person has ever done in all of human history, good or bad, are recorded in heaven, and that's what's in those books. So you just need to know this. Everything that you have ever done, secret or public, good or bad, has been recorded in those books. How's that for the worst news you've heard all week? (laughs) And that's why there's books, plural, because there's a whole lot of content there. I mean, if you're anything like me, I'm going, I I think I got multiple volumes just from the ninth grade alone. (laughs) That's all, and the books. And here's what it says, is that some people, they're gonna be judged according to what's written in the books. Everything that you've done, good or bad, you're gonna be judged according to what's in the books. But watch this. Here's the good news. There's not just this pile of books with what you've done written in them. Over here, there's this singular book. And that book's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And in that book, nobody's actions, your actions, good or bad, are not recorded. What's in that book is names. And here's how this works, is that that book is where you're not judged according to what you did. That book is, if your name's in that book, you're not judged, if your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, You're not judged according to what you did. You're judged according to what Jesus did. Can I get a good amen, somebody? You don't get judged according to all these things, the things you did, good or bad. If your name's over here, you get judged 
according to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Here, here's the best way for, that I picture it, and the Bible doesn't say this, but I like books. I'm a, I'm a reader. I, I, I like, like, just like books. What I picture is in this book, there's only one person's actions recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, and it's all the perfect life of Jesus. It's, uh, it's never sinned when he was a child, grew older and never lusted, grew older and resisted the temptation of the devil his entire life, uh, grew older and lived his life in single-hearted obedience to God, leveraged everything that he had, dollars, time, talent, to build the kingdom of God, did all those things. And here's what I think happens is that at the end of that book, where all Jesus' works are recorded, there's a big index and everybody's name that put their faith in Jesus is recorded in that index. And those names are indexed because all of Jesus' actions get credited to them. So, so here, here, here's what you got. The moral of this story is you don't want to be judged according to what's in the books. You, you want to be judged according to what's in the book. That's what you, you don't want heaven to be determined by what you did. You want heaven to be de determined by what Jesus did. See, see, that's what you want. Now, here's what's going to happen. I, I just need to make this really, really clear. So here's what's going to happen. You've got to understand when it comes to books and book. A lot of people think that hell is a place God sends people that he's mad at. Guys, think about this. Books and book. Hell is not a place that God sends people he's mad at. Here's one way to think of it. Hell is a place where you have the option of paying for your own sins if you want to. See, God is a just judge, and because he's a just judge, sins have to be paid for. And the question is, are you going to pay for those sins with your own death in eternity, or are you going to let Jesus pay for those sins by his life and death on, on the cross? Are you, which one? You get to choose. So it, it's kind of like this. I imagine, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it's going to be like, but i got a, an imagination. I imagine that we're all going to be in this line and there's going to be this moment where, you know, I hear on, on the intercom, Josh Howard in the front, please. Okay. All right, man. Hey, God, I've been waiting to see you for a real long time. And, and he's going to ask me this question, number one, on the test. He's going to ask this question. Hey, Josh, were you planning on paying for your own sins, or, or what did you do with my son Jesus? Your call. W were you planning on paying for those sins, or what did you do with Jesus? Because guys, when Jesus came on earth and he died on the cross, that wasn't just some grand demonstration of miraculous power or a demonstration of his great love for humanity. It was those things. But more than that, what was happening is he was paying your bill. And you get to choose. Do you pay your own bill for your sins? Or are you going to go, hey, uh, this is what I did with Jesus. I, I, I think I'm going to trust in him and let, let him pay for those things. Now, you may ask this question, Josh, why are you teaching all this? Well, here's why. Because a lot of people are going to get the answer to that question wrong. Not just a few people, a lot of people are going to get the answer to that question wrong. Uh, don't believe me? Watch what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Here's what he said. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Some of you might be going, well, that's kind of a problem. Because like that, that was my plan. Like, man, when, when I was eight or nine years old, I walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, they put my name on a clipboard, and somebody told me if I would just say that Jesus was my Lord, that, that I'd go to heaven. It's like, hey, man, like that, that, that was my whole plan. And Jesus says, no, 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 
Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Now, the next word in this verse is the one that makes this sermon maybe the most important sermon I'll ever preach to you. Here, here, here's what he says. He says, many, not a few, many people are going to miss the question. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And then what they do in this verse is they, they make a list of religious actions that made sense to them. So let me modernize it to our time. Many people are going to stand in front of God and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, you know, didn't I go to Lake Point like every weekend and didn't I read my Bible and didn't I pray sometimes and I, you know, I got baptized and you know, I was nice to you know, the, the people that I came in contact with. And listen, all those things are wonderful things. They're the wrong answer to the question. Because watch this, here's what he says. Did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And then I will tell them plainly, I never, I wasn't looking for a religion, I was looking for a relationship. Like I, I wanted something, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Now, for those of you guys who uh, are maybe a little newer to Lake Point, um, I'm not just a third generation Christian, I'm a third generation preacher. Like I, I'm, what you, I'm what some of you guys might call oversaved. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, like and, and here's my story is from the, the minute that I was born, I think that I, I think my mom has told me before, I was in church literally the week that I was born. And never, ever, 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 not on vacation, never, we did not ever miss Sundays at church. And we took it real serious, doing all the right things. I remember when I was a little kid at my papa's church, my papa was, papa was a, a, southern, a fiery Southern Baptist preacher in rural Kentucky. And we would go to his church like every Easter. You guys remember, about 10% of you guys remember this. They used to have on the tithe cards, they would have little check boxes where you could check all of the spiritual things you're supposed to do during the week. And they had, uh, they had prayer, giving, Bible reading, and evangelism. You, any, any of you guys remember that? You remember that? And, uh, and I, I, I had this little game where my goal was from the time Papa finished praying for the offering, before the offering plate got back to me, I tried to do all four in that time. And so he, you know, he would finish praying, and as soon as he finished praying, I would say, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for this day. And then I would put a dollar in there, so I got the prayer. I got the giving. I would turn to my brother. If you die tonight, you know, where would you go, heaven or hell? So I shared the gospel with somebody. And then I would open my Bible and read a verse, and boom, nailed it. You know, and I put it. So I was really focused on getting all the religious actions externally right. And I did all those things. Guys, we, listen, we were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I did junior Bible quiz on Thursday nights because I'm cool like that and I did all those things. And listen, it didn't matter if we liked it or not. In fact, a lot of times I hated it and I thought that like counted spiritually for something. I'd finish the service and go, whew, God, that better count for something because that was awful. <laughs> you know, that kind of, and listen, it, it, mean Sunday school to guys, I endured the meanest Sunday school teachers you could ever imagine. There was a second grade, meanest Sunday school teacher God ever created. She talked all the time about how hell was hot and eternity was long. Talked about hell like she was born and raised there is what it felt like. And, <laughs> and uh, I remember her just being real intense, real intense. And I remember her saying, don't you want to go to heaven? And I was thinking, not if you're going to be there, you know, that kind of thing. And, and we, you know, we were always there. But, but here's what happened to me is when I was eight years old is I did that. Like uh, walked an aisle, 
prayed a prayer, put my name on a clipboard, and maybe that's when I believed in God, but I, I didn't meet him, and I didn't know him. And so you fast forward, it wasn't until I was 16 years old, somebody actually invited me to, a, it was a different church across town, and I went, and it's a weird thing for a pastor to say, but it actually wasn't the preaching that brought conviction on me, it was actually the worship of the people. As I started looking around at these Christians that were so passionately worshiping, and I was looking around and going, man, I, I believe in God, but these people seem like they know God. And I went home when I was 16 years old, and alone in my bedroom, my youth pastor told me to start reading in Romans. And I started reading Romans 1 about how the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And alone in my bedroom at 16 years old, I gave my life to Christ. A love for Jesus boiled up in my heart. I just said, man, my whole life's yours. And I gave him my life. And listen, I've known God ever since, and I've never been the same. I've never been the same. Nothing has ever changed. Never been the same since that day. And watch this. My fear is for a lot of people, that's you, is that you've got a lot of the external things going on that you're supposed to be doing, but, but there's nothing internal. You don't know him. Um, years ago, I'm going to give you an analogy here. Years ago, I, um, I did a little weekend mission trip to Chicago, and we were walking downtown by, uh, by Wrigley Field, and across from near Wrigley Field, there's these like 30 or 40 story high uh, apartment complexes, government apartment complexes. And years ago, one of those apartment complexes in Chicago burned down, and true story, uh, what happened was they evacuated everybody from the building, and the firefighters were forming a ring around the building to keep people from getting close. And, uh, and they thought that they'd evacuated everybody until a woman, really passionately with tears, burst through the line and started screaming, my baby, my baby. And what had happened was her young children had been evacuated, but they'd forgotten her newborn infant when they got evacuated. And it was still up there. And so one of those brave firefighters uh, came over to her and he said, ma'am, tell me what floor your apartment was on and what number. And she explained to him, and he just rushed right into the building. And, uh, and smoke-filled building, and so as he tells the story, he was going up floor after floor, and he was literally counting the turns on the steps because there was so much smoke, he couldn't see what floor he was on, and he was keeping track in his head. Got to the floor that he just hoped and guessed was hers, got out into the hallway, and the hall was just filled with smoke, except for the very bottom. You know, smoke rises, so at the very bottom, he could crouch down and crawl, and he could see. And so what he did was he crawled down the hall and he would reach up on the apartment complex doors and feel for the apartment numbers on the doors and try to feel and guess what apartment number it was until he eventually got to the one that he just guessed and hoped was hers and he burst through the door. And as luck would have it or providence, as soon as he came in, he saw the four legs of a crib right there inside the door. And he reached up and he felt inside the crib and he grabbed that little baby and put it right under his coat and he just immediately started going down all the floors in the apartment complex. And as he reached the bottom story, true story, uh, true story, as he reached the bottom, he's got this baby underneath his coat and he bursts out of the doors and as soon as he does, the apartment complex collapses right behind him. Hollywood could not have written a better story. And everyone could see he had this little bundle under his coat. And so the crowd just went wild. Ah. And the lady whose baby it was, she ran forward with desperate tears and held out her arms. And in that moment, he opened his coat and reached in and he grabbed the doll 
that had been right next to the baby. And you see what had happened is with the smoke he had felt around and it was a near perfect imitation of that child. Same size, same shape, little hair, little shoes, little feet. A perfect imitation, listen, a perfect counterfeit of the real thing, but no life on the inside. And here's my greatest fear, is that many people, they're going to get to that first question on the test, and they're going to say, Lord, man, I, you know, I read my Bible, I prayed, I went to church, and God's going to say, that's not what I was looking for. That, that wasn't the right answer. In fact, here's the right answer to that first question. The right answer is this, it is, hey, I gave my life to Jesus. Everything I am from the inside of me, I, I gave him my life. Now, that's my greatest fear, is that you're going to miss that question. Now, some of you, you just need to deal with that question and nothing else. That's the only thing that matters right now. But there's a second judgment, a second test question that's going to come. And this second judgment, here's what it's called. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And in fact, judgment's actually kind of the wrong word because it's not going to be really a judgment. It's going to be an award ceremony. Um, the Bible actually uses the, word, the Greek word bema to describe this judgment, and here's what a bema was, at the Greek Olympics, whenever the runners ran, the winners who had run well, they would come and stand on a platform in front of the judge, and the platform was called the bema, and that was the place where those winning runners would be given their awards for running well. So everybody would be gathered, gathered around, and the judge would give them sometimes a monetary award or a crown or applause, be given all sorts of uh, awards, and everybody would be standing around just applauding what they did. And so this is going to be a real happy moment, okay, real, real happy moment. What you got to understand is this judgment doesn't determine whether you go to heaven or hell, but it does determine what heaven's going to be like for you based on what you've done. In fact, l let me just read it. Here's a, let me just say it like this. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things while done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, you got, you got to understand this. So listen, we are saved by grace, but we're rewarded for our works. And listen, Jesus is very, very motivated by this judgment. Very motivated. In fact, you skip, do this today. Go to the very last page in your Bible, and the second to last thing Jesus says in the whole Bible is he says, with, I think with a smile on his face, he says, and behold, I am coming soon, and I'm bringing with me my rewards. I can't wait to bless you for the way that you lived your life and so here's what's going to happen. It's question number two you're going to be asked is, question number two you're going to be asked is, what did you do with what I gave you? With the resources you were given, what did you do? And listen, when I say resources, that includes money, but it's not just your money. A resource is whatever you have. So here's what I imagine, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to be another, <coughs> Josh Howard to the front, please. Whoa, okay, let's do this again, you know. And, uh, and God's going to say this. He's going to say, Josh, what did you do with what I gave you? And guys, I need you to think about this. Is everybody everywhere has been given things by God. If I'm the one, God's going to say, Josh, I gave you a life. I gave you a wife. 
I gave you children, I gave you a family. Josh, I gave you a church. For some of you, he's gonna be going, I gave you talents, I gave you ideas, I gave you abilities. Uh, Listen, I I let you live in the modern era where there was technology. And and listen, he's gonna say, I gave you America. And listen, for all her problems, she's still the greatest country on earth. I let you, I let you live in a place with more freedoms than anywhere else on earth. And he's gonna be going, "What what did you do with that? What'd you do? In fact, watch, watch how he says it right here in this passage. He says, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Think about it like this. Uh, so the question is, is what you're building with your life, is it gonna last for 20 or 50 years? Or is it gonna last for 20 or 50 mil- million years? Where's it gonna make a difference? I want you to think about this. Think about it like there's a conveyor belt in front of me and the judgment, this second judgment, the Bema judgment, like a fire, a place of fire, and everything you built with your life, your reputation, your net worth, the business you invested in, the career that you built, the relationships you know, that, that you established, everything's gonna pass through that fire, and if it's something that would only matter for 20 or 50 years, it's gonna be gone, worthless, poof. But if it's something that made a difference for 20 or 50 million years in eternity, it's gonna pass through and he's gonna go, reward, 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 reward. Watch this, the fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. So watch this, here's the right answer to to question number two. It's something like this, it's I made a difference in, in eternity. I leveraged everything I was and everything that you gave me to make a difference, not just for my family in this short period of time, but to do something that would matter and make a difference in eternity for the glory of God, the salvation of people, and the good of humanity. I did that with my life. Now here's the problem, is it's really, really hard for us to think like this. So let me give you a a little visual illustration. Um, What I got over here is, uh, I got a rope, looks like I'm getting ready to do like a CrossFit thing, you know, let me just, by the way, do you know how you can tell if somebody does CrossFit? Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> this is what, okay, so here it goes. So I want you to imagine that this rope is a timeline, and, uh, and what you've got here is, uh, is this is eternity past. God has always existed. Uh, this is eternity future. So let me go over here. This This is eternity past. God has always existed. He's the ancient of days. Eternity past. So imagine that rope just stretches that way forever and ever and ever. And this is eternity future. You're not just going to live for 80 years. You're gonna live for 80 million years and longer, forever. So this is eternity future. Eternity past. Here, eternity future, here. And what you've got in the middle, this is all of human history, right here. All of human history. So I want want you to imagine this like right at the very beginning. God creates Adam. Adam's not doing very good alone. And so God creates right here. He creates Eve. 
that Adam goes, whoa, man, that's where you get woman. He's fast forward a little bit. Here's Jesus right here. Fast forward a little bit farther. There's the Renaissance. Gutenberg creates the printing press. Bible gets out to everybody. A little farther. Protestant Reformation. Gospel starts going out. Things start happening. That's really awesome. Fast forward to the modern era. Here's World War I, Great Depression, World War II. Fast forward a little farther. Rocky II comes out. It's a big year. Fast forward just a little farther. There I am. I'm born right there in 1983. Fast forward just a little farther into the even more modern era. Luka Doncic is drafted by the Dallas Mavericks right there. There we go. And then right here, <laughs> if this whole thing really is human history, you probably can't see it, but I can see a tiny little thread of this red tape fraying and sticking off the very end. And that right there is your entire life. That's why the Bible says that your life is a mist, a vapor that appears for a second and then it's gone. Now here's the problem. This is what matters. This is all we see. And we get, I get, so worked up over meaningless things that happen right there. I'm running late. Something broke in my refrigerator. Somebody said something mean about me on the internet. And a lot of us, we spend our entire lives trying to amass and build something that's going to matter for one half of one of those tiny little threads on that tape. And it won't matter one bit at all here. And listen, only a fool goes through life unprepared for what's inevitable. So here's what I know. Two things. Let me get really practical. For some of you, you need to ask the question, Am I building something that's going to matter for eternity or am I leveraging what I have built, I have or I am, for things that are going to matter in eternity or am am I just doing stuff that's going to matter here and I'm not going to have anything here. This is why, by the way, if you're one of the many, many people who's newer to Lake Point, one of the most spiritual things you can actually do is to get into our next steps class where we help you discover the spiritual gifts God has put inside of you, why you are here on this planet. The two most important days of your life, the day you're born and the day you discover why. And we wanna help you do that. And if you need to do that, what you can do is you just, right now, you can just text the word next to the number 20411. And we're gonna help you figure out why God put you on this planet, and how you can make a difference in eternity. But watch this. Some of you, you are on the fence about crossing a line of faith, and this is a decision point. Whether you're going to make a decision there that changes all of this for you forever. And you need to give your life to Christ and be baptized. In fact, that's what the Bible said. How, does that, how do I know God? Acts 2, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And so man, for some of you, the most spiritual thing, the most important thing you'll ever do is to give your life to Christ and actually follow through with your faith in baptism like next week. Like next week you can do this. I know what some of you guys are thinking because I've talked to people in the lobby after every service. Some of you guys are like, man, Josh, but I haven't, you know, I haven't like, I'm not living real good. I haven't lived a really clean life. Listen, when people get baptized, that's not them saying they've lived a clean life. That's them saying they're admitting that they haven't lived a clean life and that they need to be made clean by Jesus who can make them clean. That's what baptism is. Some of you are like, man, but I was baptized as as an infant or as a baby. Do I need to do it again? Yes. (laughs) Yes, you do. Because when you were baptized as an infant, that was an expression of your parents' faith. And now you need to, as an expression of your faith, be baptized for your own faith to ratify, to say, man, what my parents gave me was important. And you need to do that. And so what you can do is you can just text the word life, like right now, in your seat, like right now. You can text the word life to 20411. And one of our pastors will get with you and help you take that step that's gonna change all of this. And if that's you, if that's you, I just wanna pray with you right now. All of our campuses at Church Online, everywhere, I wanna pray with you right now. And so would you do this? Would you close your eyes, bow your heads? Would you pray with me? And would you just admit, God, I know I'm a sinner and that I've put other things in front of you and I have not put you first in my life. And so I confess that I, I deserve judgment for my sins. But, but I believe that your son Jesus died on a cross for me and paid the penalty for my sins. I believe that he was raised from the dead and that he can give me new life. Thank you, God, for that gift. I receive it by faith, not based on anything that I've done but as a free gift. Thank you for making me a son or a daughter of the living God. And all of Lake Point Church put their hands together and celebrated all of those people everywhere at all of our campuses at Church Online that are taking that step right now, right now. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, Join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.